0: Morning. Whoa. Take it down a notch, brother. <laughs> I'm out there. How's everybody doing? I'm still. Are we okay now? Can you hear me okay? I can hear me okay. What time is it? All right. I got some time. Uh, just wanted to mention uh, today at three o'clock, right, Dave? There's a gathering at your Sister's house, that is, you don't have to give the address. What area of town? Uh, La, Sierra. La Sierra area. Right. So, if you're interested in just hearing a little bit more about Dave's ministry in Italy, uh, talk to him after. He's wearing this bright shirt, so he stands out. You should be able to find him and uh, get, get some uh, directions there and, and go uh, hear a little bit more about his ministry. I don't know if I'll be able to pre those notes. We were hitting some really high notes there, and I'm, I'm feeling, uh, is it going to last? But this morning I've got some good news and some bad news. We've heard it a little bit, but I, I wanted to just uh, uh, bring it home. The good news is that next week we'll be starting a 12 week series in the book of Philippians. That's good. Woohoo, yay. On Sunday, I'll preach through a passage, a a portion of the book of Philippians, and then during the week, we'll all go, we'll all go, we'll all go to our small groups where we will flesh it out, where we'll live life together, talking through these things that Paul wrote that apply to us today. So don't forget, uh, continue. If you haven't signed up for a small group, the small group signups are back there. So that's the good news, Philippians. The bad news, is that, as Tom mentioned, this is our last week to savor the Psalms. I was actually, as I was sitting there, I was going, you know, and this, I just came to my head, so don't hold me to this, but I think maybe for the next several years, if, if the Lord tarries, uh, maybe summer will be a time we can go back to the Psalms. Oh, I, I really enjoyed it, and I heard from many people that it was a, a blessing to be in the Psalms during, during this time, so we'll be back the psalms are still there. They're not going anywhere. So we'll we'll come back to them as a church as well. But we have one more one more psalm, one more look into the psalms or uh and we're going to look at Psalm 16 or continue looking into Psalm 16. We looked a little bit last week. We focused in on verse 3 last week if you were with us. But today I want to walk through the entire psalm. It's a big task. If we didn't have to start Philippians, I'll just be honest, if we didn't have to start Philippians next week, I'd probably be doing two more sermons on Psalm 16. So this is going to be dense and packed. So get your uh, thinking caps, do you say that, anymore? on? And because it's going to be uh, some really great stuff uh, in this psalm, as in, as, in, as in all of them. But I want us to go on a journey. And I want that journey, it's going to lead somewhere. It's going to lead to the experience that David writes about, and I believe he experienced personally in verse 11. The end of verse 11, the culmination of Psalm 16, he says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let me ask you, is that what you would like in your relationship with God? Fullness of joy pleasures that are going to last forevermore, real joy, real true pleasure in the Lord. The entire psalm is building to this amazing conclusion. And for us, the question is, is verse 11, the end of verse 11 that I just read, it's on the overhead still, by faith I'm saying that, I haven't turned around, Uh, is verse 11 your experience? Or is it some? Eye in the sky, oh wow, how do you do that? How does that happen in your life? Are you experiencing joy? Are you experiencing pleasure in the Lord's presence in your life? And do you want to? If your answer is yes, then I would say allow this psalm, our time here this morning in this psalm, to deepen that experience, to, to make it richer, to fill it in. But if the answer is no, then I would say, allow this time, allow this morning, allow this Psalm of David to be a beginning point. Allow it to, to jumpstart, to motivate, to inspire your desires, and to move you to pursue your joy, your pleasures in God's presence in your life, in your relationship with the living God. Psalm 16 is a, is a totally fitting Old Testament introduction to our upcoming... Uh, study in Philippians in the New Testament. We're titling the study in Philippians, The Pursuit of Joy. Because over and over again, Paul in the book of Philippians talks about his joy and your joy, and rejoice again. And I say rejoice, it's just filled with joy. And so this, this uh, I think Psalm 16 will be uh, just a great introduction into our time beginning next week. Because what we find in, in this psalm, I believe, is really the key to pursuing our joy in the Lord. And that key is, and it has to do with who God is to you. Who do you believe? Who do you act upon? Who do you truly believe God is to you? I think one of the greatest barriers to experiencing joy in the, in the Lord is not embracing, embracing who He is in your life, who He is to me, who He is to you. We tend to think of of God, and this is true, as big and awesome and out there, as omnipresent everywhere all the time, omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, knowing everything. We tend to think of him as the creator of the universe, the savior of humanity, and all of those things are true, and we need to think about them, we need to believe them, we need to trust in them, but they don't speak they don't speak to our personal relationship with the Lord. They don't speak to who he is in our lives. Now, let me, let me be clear. Who he is to me, who I believe he is to me, has nothing to do, let me, let me say this right, will not change who he actually is. Who he is is who he is. Are we clear on that? It's not affecting him, who he is in my life. It's affecting me, who I believe him to be. Do I believe the truth of who He is to me? There's a problem. Because, because we can and many do believe all the right truths about God, the, the, the vastness and the creatorness and the saviorness of God, but we never experience Him in a personal way. Never experience that fullness of joy, those pleasures that begin now and last forevermore that are only found in him. So we're going to look not at who God is out there, who he is to everyone, but who God is in here, who he is to me. In Psalm 16, David is writing about a very personal experience, his very personal experience with the Lord. He's praising God for who God is in his life. So let's walk through these verses. We read the passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing again. We're going to go. We're going to touch every. Every verse this morning, we're going to walk through it, 11 verses, looking at who God was in David's life, and as we do, let's examine our own lives. Let's ask ourselves, who is God to me? And the first thing that David makes clear about his relationship with the Lord is that God is my, I'm going to say my, so it'll reflect what David is saying, and it'll reflect what we need to say God is my protector. God is my protector. David begins with a prayer, a short prayer. He cries out to the Lord. Verse 1, "...preserve, guard, protect me, O God." David, by praying for protection, he's showing that he believes God can protect, that God cares for him, that God is there for him, that somebody's listening to his prayers. You don't ask for help from people who shine you on people who can't help, who don't have the ability to help. David trusts that God is looking out for him. That's where he's turning, to the Lord. Why does he trust God to protect him? The answer is found as we read on into verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for, because in you I take refuge. David is saying that God is his place of refuge, his place of safety. A lot of times there's, I can't remember the scripture, but it talks about uh, going under the wing of God, under the wing of his protection. That's a picture that David brings. God is where we go to find protection. Therefore, we can cry out to God for protection. It's It's really logical and it's really simple. God is the protector of those who go to him for protection. Those who trust him, those who know that he cares about him, about them so the question is and this is going to be our question for us so we're going to talk about David's experience that he writes here and then we're going to say okay so what about me what about you is God your protector is God your refuge is God where you go in times of trouble do you cry out to him for help for deliverance Do you trust Him to get you through the trials of this life? Do you trust that He can and will turn your trials into joy? Let's take it a little step farther, but it's, it's in the Scripture, isn't it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do you trust that He can turn those trials to joy? Or do you go someplace else for protection? Do you rely on yourself? Do you rely on the world? Because it's only when you seek your protection, your, uh, uh, what is the word? Not perseverance, your preservation. Preservation. Thanks for for coming and sharing with me preservation. When you seek your preservation in the Lord, when you rely on Him to care for you, it's then, when you're under His wing, then you can experience fullness of joy then you can begin to experience those pleasures that will last forevermore in His presence. So first, David says, God is my protector. Therefore, I experience joy in His presence. We're going to point to verse 11 every time, because I think everything he says points to that final point. Therefore, He's my protector. Therefore, I experience joy in His presence. Second, God is my ruler. Verse 2. David writes, I say to the Lord. Notice, Lord there is in all caps. It's the Hebrew word Yahweh. Anytime you're reading through most of the translations now, I think, they all cap the, the Lord when it's referring to Yahweh. It's God's name. It comes from when Moses, at the burning bush, you remember, he says, he says Whom shall I say sent me? When God is sending him back to his, uh, the children of Israel, he says, Whom shall I say sent, sent me? And, and God says, uh, tell them, I am. I said that I am is that, is that Yahweh. I am that I am. It's really God's, God's name. I say to the Lord, Yahweh, you are my Lord, Adonai. Different, lowercase Lord, Adonai. The second Lord is the Hebrew Adonai. It's, it's another name used for God in the Old Testament, and it means Master. Or, or ruler. David is saying that God is his ruler. That he will obey God above all others. God is his, his master. He will follow after God. That he trusts God with every aspect of his life. That he believes God cares for him and wants best for him. What's best for him? I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to follow after you. You are my Lord and my leader of my life. My master and ruler. So the question is... Is God your ruler? Because follow the logic here. There is no possible way you can experience fullness of joy that you can begin to experience those pleasures forevermore in his presence unless you allow him, unless you invite him to be the leader, the Lord, the ruler and master of your life. That's the only way. If he's not leading you, then you can't follow him into fullness of joy. You can't follow him into pleasures forevermore. You're going somewhere else. You're not going where he is. He has to be your ruler. So I would make this bold statement here. If you in your life are not experiencing even the hint of, you know, we're we're still living in this flesh and we have things that bring us down and distractions and, and tough things, but God is still there. And if you're not even experiencing, even in a little way, that that joy that he brings, if you're not beginning to experience the pleasures in the Lord, then I believe you haven't allowed him to be your leader. You haven't trusted in him. You're still following someone, something, maybe yourself. Until you follow him, that joy and those pleasures will escape you. So second, David says, God is my ruler and therefore I experience joy in his presence. I go where he goes. I follow him. Third, David David says, God is my ultimate source of good. God is my ultimate source of good. Notice you could change any of these. You could change them to God is the ruler. God is the ultimate source. And all of that is true. We're saying my because I'm trying to personalize it for each of us. Verse 2 continues, I have no good apart from you. We touched on this last week. It's a bold statement. Apart from outside of you, Lord, nothing is good. I have no good thing. Nothing in David's life, nothing in this world is good apart from the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that nothing else is good, period. We saw that last week, didn't we? In verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. We talked about this a lot last week. The saints in the land are excellent, they're good. They bring David delight. And the reason they are good is because, and we learned this last week, they reflect the Lord. They are the saints. Remember, the saints isn't that team in New Orleans. The saints are the holy ones of God, right? They follow the ways of the Lord. And when David sees the Lord in the people of God, he delights it. I'm seeing Jesus here. I'm seeing the Lord here. And it brings delight to his souls, his soul. So when David says he has no good apart from the Lord, he means that all other goods, all other good things, like the saints, are only because, good because they reflect the goodness of God. This is true for all, all good things that we can experience in life. I, I know I talk a lot about food. It's beginning to be a problem. had to buy some new pants recently. for a recent... But when you eat a good meal, And we call it a good meal, and it's good to call it a good meal. It's only good because God created the ingredients. And God gave you either the money to afford it or the skill to create it, to make it. And he also gave you the taste buds to appreciate it. It's good because of him. And this applies to all good things. They're good because they show, they reflect the goodness of God. They point to God as our greatest good. Then in verse 4, David emphasizes, I believe, the goodness or or the joy found in in God by contrasting it with the sorrows found in not God, in other gods. So you have a choice, God or not God, and in this case, other gods. The sorrows, verse 4 says, of those who run after another God shall multiply. It's not going to be joy. It's going to be sorrows. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. In other words, everything good comes from and is found in the one true God, Yahweh, my Lord, Adonai. Therefore, everything not from God, everything outside of God will bring only sorrow. David says that it would be crazy to turn away from this ultimate source of good and go after gods that only bring sorrow. He declares that he would never do that. He will not take part in their their worship, their blood offerings. He won't even take their names on his lips. There's no good in false gods. All good is found in the Lord. So the question is, is God your ultimate source of good? Or... Are you seeking good someplace else, apart from Him, separate from Him? Do you seek good in other, in other gods? And those, those might be idols on a shelf, or they might be people, or they might be all kinds other things, other people, other people, other, other uh, pursuits that don't reflect the Lord, or even in sinful things things that are clearly opposed to God. Is that where you're seeking your good? Do you think, oh, this would be good? Because until we recognize and we live in the truth that there's no good apart from God, do we believe that is true? Until then, we'll not experience the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore that He offers. So third, David says, my ultimate source of good God is my ultimate source of good and therefore I experience joy in His presence. I'm going after my good in God and I get it from God and I experience joy in the Lord. Fourth, he says, God is my source of satisfaction. Verse 5 begins, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. See, I am cool with talking about food because David tends to talk about food, right? The picture here is of food and drink a portion of food, and and a cup to drink out of. These are our most, I mean, besides, I guess, air, these are our most basic needs, food and drink. They're the things that satisfy our cravings. And David says, for me, I choose to be satisfied by the Lord. If there are a hundred portions of food and drink laid out before me, spread out on a beautiful table... And one of them is the Lord Himself. He's who I'm picking. I'm picking Jesus. I'm picking the Lord. Nothing satisfies the way He does. He's my protector, my ruler, my ultimate source of good. I choose and I trust the Lord to bring me satisfaction. Unlike the the band, uh, I think it's the Rolling Stones, who couldn't get any satisfaction, David finds his satisfaction in the Lord, right? So the question is, Is God your source of satisfaction? How do you choose to satisfy your cravings? Where do you go? How do you choose to satisfy your desires, your needs even, your wants? Do you seek satisfaction in other things, in the things of this world, in accomplishments, in wealth, power and prestige, relationships, things that ultimately can never satisfy. Because they're not meant to. These, these things are not meant to. We were made for a relationship with God. Therefore, only God can bring true satisfaction to our lives. Even the good things of this world, even the best relationships in this world, the best people only point to what God offers to what we can have in Him. He is the true source of satisfaction. So forth, David says, God is my source of satisfaction and therefore I experience joy in His presence. Fifth, he says, God is my sovereign. Or God is sovereign. God is in control of my life. Verse five continues, short little statement. You, you Lord, you hold my lot. The word lot there, refers to the the practice of casting lots. Have you you heard of casting lots? As a way to determine uh, what to do. Okay, Remember the disciples, they cast lots to see who would replace Judas, and the lot was cast to Matthias, if you remember. So, So what David is saying is this. When the lot is cast, no matter what the outcome is, It comes from the hand of God. You're in control of the lots. You hold my lot. Maybe if you picture the the drawing the straws, I've never done it. They do it all the time on certain, you know, God is holding on to the straws, and He's making sure you pick the one He wants you to pick. God decides. God is sovereign in my life. He's in control of my life. And I accept and 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 this has ramifications. Okay? This cuts out the whining of life. And I'm talking to myself here, by the way. Because he's in control, and so I accept what happens. Come what may, God is sovereign. The same Lord who's my protector, my ruler, my source of good and satisfaction, is sovereign over my life. So that in verse 6, he he continues, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. What does he mean by that? The lines here refer to sort of borders or, or boundaries between different lands. Like the Rio Grande is the the line between the US and Mexico. But these lines are probably more figurative. He's probably not talking about actual land. David seems to be saying that the boundaries in my life are placed there by a sovereign God, a God who's in control, a God who knows what's best for me. God has sovereignly placed boundaries in David's life that keep him where? In pleasant places. In pleasant places. And that word pleasant is the exact same word found in verse 11. Pleasant places are pleasures forevermore. Same word, pleasant pleasures. Same exact Hebrew word. And so I would submit that God puts those boundaries in place in our life for our good. And those boundaries are found, I believe, in His word. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've stored up your word, let me interpret, to be a boundary. So I don't sin against you. The word provides these boundaries that we might not sin, that we might stay in the pleasant places. If we stray beyond the boundaries that God has set, we're in not pleasant places. The word keeps us at God's right hand, where there are pleasures forevermore. David then adds at the end of verse 6, I have a beautiful inheritance. This is looking to the, the future. Inheritances come at the future. You know, my, my, my wife's sisters say to their parents, uh, you know, go ahead and spend our inheritance. And I just grit my teeth. I really want that money. No. But, but we have a beautiful inheritance. What, what, what David is saying, he's affirming that, that God's goodness and his sovereignty in this one little statement, God holds the lot. He makes the lines fall where they may, and the result will be for my good. I will receive a beautiful inheritance. And what is the inheritance? Pop quiz? God. God himself. Fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore in his presence. That's, that's what Psalm 116 says. Our Our beautiful inheritance is that fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. So the question is, is God your sovereign? Do you accept what he allows or even puts in your life as from him? Do you trust that the circumstances in your life are from God? Do you trust his word to guide and direct and put boundaries in your life? Because if we don't accept what he brings into our life, if we don't trust that he's our protector, our ruler, our source of good and satisfaction, then when difficulties come, when things are not going like I want them to go, then we rebel. We rebel against God. We no longer trust him. Oh, God, you can't be looking out for my my best interest if this is happening. That's not possible. We stray from the boundaries He's he's put in place, when we we start to not trust Him, when we think, okay, He's not working here, then we start to say, well, then I don't have to obey his, His Word. I go outside of His boundaries, and there goes the downfall. There goes the fall from joy, the fall from pleasure in His presence. We lose that fullness of joy. We lose out on the beautiful inheritance. So fifth, David says, God is my sovereign. And therefore, I experience joy in His presence. I trust in Him to be in control of my life, come what may. Sixth, God is my counselor. Verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. David blesses the Lord. Remember that word, blesses, again. It's it's literally to kneel before, used for worship and praise. Just picture him worshiping and praising before the Lord. Uh, Why? Because the Lord gives him counsel. The Lord is there for him. The Lord is his ruler, but he's not a, a stern uh, uh, whip kind of ruler. He's giving him counsel, saying this is the way you should go. This is what you should do. And so I kneel before him and, and I bless him. When David doesn't know what to do, when he doesn't know where to turn, or even when he does and, and, and he wants to hear from the Lord, he turns to the Lord. And again, Scripture is, is key here. Psalm 119.24 uh, says, Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. The Lord gives counsel through his testimonies, through his word. Then at the end of verse 7, David adds, In the night also my heart instructs me. So he says, You're my counselor, Lord. But, and then at night, my heart instructs me. The Lord gives David counsel, and then his heart instructs him. How does that take place? His heart instructs him because he's hidden the word of God in his heart. Let's go back to the first, what psalm did we start with when we started the psalm, series in Psalms? One. You guys are so smart. It's easy because it was one. That was good. Remember, David wrote in verses 1 and 2, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. David delights in the law of the Lord, the word of God. He meditates on it day and night. Therefore, his heart is full. His heart is full of God's word. His heart instructs him, you know, at night on the bed. I don't have a light. I'm just sitting there, but I start thinking about the word that I've meditated on for that day. It instructs me. Tells me where to go, what to do. He counsels those those instructions, that, that, that leads David into, it's those counsel and those instructions that lead David into the presence of the Lord, that lead him into fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So the question is, is God your counselor? Do you turn to his word for instruction and counsel? Do you pray to him? Do you meditate on his word day and night? Or do you take the counsel of your own heart? Your own thoughts, your own mind, or or those of someone else, those someone else has put into your own heart? Do you follow those in the world who would claim to be wise, who claim to know better than God? The choice is yours. The choice is mine. But we need to know this. It's only by following God's counsel, God's instruction from His Word and from His presence in our life that we will find fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So 6, David says, God is my counselor, and therefore I experience joy in His presence. Seventh, God is my source of confidence. In verse 1, David asks for protection. Preserve me, O God, he prays. Now in verse 8, he doesn't ask, he confidently affirms. He says, I have set the Lord always before me, because He is my right hand, I shall not be shaken. It seems that by reminding himself, even in this psalm, even in writing this psalm, of who God is in his life, by setting the Lord before, always before me, our, he's thinking about the Lord. He's meditating on this word that teaches, he's setting everything about the Lord. It's all about Jesus, about the Lord. By remembering that God is his protector, his ruler, his ultimate source of good and his satisfaction and his sovereign, by setting these truths about the Lord before Him, his prayer to be preserved has turned to a confident assertion that he will not be shaken. I can't be shaken. Uh, Of course, God will preserve me. He's he's my right hand. I will not be shaken. He's moved from asking to confidently affirming. And from confidently affirming, he moves to rejoicing. Verse 9, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. So he's experiencing this fullness of joy as he's writing these words, I believe, because of his confidence in the Lord, his heart is glad. His whole being rejoices. He finds fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So the question is, is God your source of confidence? Or is your confidence in yourself, your own talents, your education, your finances, your job, Is it in other people? Because all other things, all the things we put our confidence in will eventually fail. Only the Lord will come through in the end. Only the Lord will be there every time. Only the Lord can put us on solid ground, on ground that will not be shaken. Only the Lord can take us to that place of fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So David says, God is my source of confidence, and therefore I experience joy in his presence. And then, finally, last point, David says, God is my source of salvation. This is is the heart, this is at the heart of our fullness of joy and, and where we find the pleasures forevermore. This is the heart of who God must be in our lives. It's the starting point, it's the middle point, and it's the end point, that God is our source of salvation. And we see it, it starts uh, at the last part of verse 9 and goes through uh, to the beginning of verse 11. Let me read it. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. I think this points directly back to David's opening prayer for, for, to be preserved. When he says, preserve me, O Lord, ultimately he meant, don't abandon my soul to Sheol. Sheol is the grave, the, 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 the eternal death, usually referred to the, the place of where the wicked go when they die. Preserve me, make me secure in you. Make known to me the path of life, not death. I want life, not death. So that I can be with you where where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. David is confident in the Lord that death is not the end. That death doesn't sever his relationship with God. That it will continue on. The soul will will not remain in the grave. There's life after death. There's salvation after death. He's made uh, my flesh secure. He will not abandon my soul to shield. And then he declares with great confidence, the Lord will save me from death. Therefore, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures eternally, forevermore. David looks forward to this eternity in God's presence. He looks forward to experiencing fullness of joy over and over and pleasures forevermore. Why? Because of who God is. Because of the joy and pleasure He's already experiencing in this life. It's just a foretaste. It's just the shadow of what's to come. Because God is His protector, His ruler, His ultimate source of good and satisfaction in this life. God is His sovereign, His counselor, His source of confidence in this life. And so He knows with confidence that there are pleasures forevermore. Joy, fullness of joy in the Lord. Therefore David knows death will not keep him from the joy and pleasure found at the right hand of God. David knew that God alone was the source of his salvation. He trusted in the Lord. And you know what? If we dig a little bit deeper, we have a little bit more time. I can't see that. So if I can't see the clock, there is no time. Uh, Just dig a little bit deeper with me. Hold on for for one more second. Uh, We will see that David knew more than we might think he did about how that salvation from the Lord would be provided. Check this out. Verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Who's this Holy One that won't see corruption? Don't say it yet. Come on, let me, let me, let me preach here, brother. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I knew somebody would say it because we're an educated group of folks here. At first glance, we might think David is, is talking about himself. Gary wouldn't think that. He already knows it's Jesus. But at first glance, you might think he's talking about himself. But if we dig a little deeper, we'll see something else. David David is the king. He's the king. And he's been given a promise. The prophet Nathan came to him. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, Nathan said this. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. You... Excuse me. who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So, uh, if you know anything about prophecy, let me just pause here for one second. This is talking about Solomon and beyond. Okay, Solomon built one house, and then beyond. We're going to get to Jesus. So David knew that he would die, because Nathan said, you're dying, you're going to lie with your fathers, you're going to be in the grave. He knew he would see corruption. His body would decay. But he also knew that God would give one of his descendants his throne. And this descendant's kingdom would have no end. In other words, David knew that one of his offspring, a human, would become king. But that offspring would live forever. That offspring would defeat death. That's who David is writing about in verse 10. That's the holy one that would not see corruption. He's going to live forever the Holy One that will not see corruption. And who is the Holy One that will not see corruption? Gary? Jesus. And you don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to take Gary's word for it. In Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter, in his first sermon, he quotes, he quotes from this psalm that we're reading. He quotes from uh, Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. And then he says this. Brothers, so he's preaching to uh, a group of Jewish people, Men and women, brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. Basically, he's saying David saw corruption. He decayed. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with the oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Peter says, David died, David's body is still in the grave, David saw corruption, but David was a prophet he knew that God would set one of his descendants on the throne. David had heard that from Nathan, and then he foresaw it himself. And so he spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that Christ would not be abandoned to Hades, nor would his flesh see corruption. David knew that one of his offspring would be the Holy One who would not be corrupted, who would not be decay, but would defeat death, would defeat sin, and would provide His salvation, David, would be preserved eternally by Christ. Jesus, a descendant of David, who died for our sins, who was buried, but who rose on the third day. Jesus, the Holy One who did not see corruption, but instead defeated sin and death, so that we might be saved. Jesus Jesus threw this door wide open, to the presence of God, wide open to fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Jesus is the source of salvation. So our final question is, is Jesus your source of salvation? Have you trusted in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Have you trusted in Jesus? Are you living as Jesus? All of these things we've talked about. Or are you trusting in something or someone else? Are you trusting in your own efforts your own ability? Are you confident in your ability to earn your way to God's presence? Or are you trusting the Holy One? The Holy One who did not see corruption. Are you trusting in Christ alone? Do you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Who is God to you in your life? Can you say that He is my protector? Do you go to Him for protection? He's my ruler. Do you obey Him? My ultimate source of good. Are you seeking the good things in life from Him or other places? Do you seek your satisfaction in Jesus? Can you say, He is my sovereign. He is in control. Come what may, I trust in Him. He's he's teaching me so much in in this life. Is He my counselor to you to go to His word? Is He your source of confidence and, and ultimately your salvation? If your answer is yes, if your answer is yes, this is the good news again, and praise the Lord, Psalm 1611 is a promise for you. You will, with David, with the saints, experience in his presence, fullness of joy, at his right hand, pleasures forevermore. But, bad news, if your answer is no, in verse 11, cannot apply to you. We've talked about that, I think, all along the way. It's it's clear. You will not experience, unless something changes, fullness of joy or pleasures forevermore in His presence. You can't. In fact, the opposite will be true. Instead, you'll experience fullness of sorrow and destruction forevermore, separated from His presence for all eternity. So... So let today be that day that something changes, and that something is who God is to you. God is God, but who is he to you? Today, you can take Psalm 16, this Psalm of David, and make it a prayer for your life. You can pray and believe and begin to act on the truth that God is your protector, your ruler, your ultimate source of good and satisfaction, your sovereign, your counselor, your source of confidence, and most importantly, at the heart of it all, your source of salvation. He provides free gift salvation to you. Because when God is these things in your life... Then that's when you begin. That's when you start down the road to experiencing this fullness of joy. That's when you begin to uh, feel and experience those pleasures forevermore in the presence of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord God, you are so awesome, so amazing. You bring so much to those who trust in you, to those who give their lives to you, to those who call upon you as their protector those who trust you as their ruler and sovereign, those who seek their good and their satisfaction, their joy in you, Lord. You you come through every time. Lord. And I pray for myself that I would continue to do that. I pray for my brothers and sisters that we will continue to do that, continue to trust you, continue to believe and act on who you want to be in our lives. And for those that have never given themselves to you, that they haven't trusted in you as their source of salvation, Father, I pray that today would be that day, that something would change today, that they would give themselves to you, that they might begin to experience fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. In Christ's name, amen. Stay with us. Thank you.